This chapter is essentially dependent upon my doctoral dissertation. So there's kind of too much information in it. All right? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, my dissertation at Cambridge was on uh, the, the use of the imperative grammatically, like this, in, in the New Testament. Just out of curiosity, how much time did you? Well, let me tell you about what happened, what, how, how I did this. This was all before the age of computers. This was done in the uh, middle 70s, early to middle 70s. Dark ages. Dark ages, right. They were just doing, <laughs> some, some people at Cambridge were just doing Fortran and stuff like that, and you know, getting all this very elementary stuff going. And, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, all of this was done without the aid of any computers, and it involved an intensive reading twice uh, through the New Testament, just trying to find the imperatives, and a couple of thousand of them, and then taking all of those, all of those occurrences, and taking the words, like say agapao, taking the words that are used as imperatives, and tracing those through all of the uses in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is much larger than the New Testament, and then taking all those same words and tracing them through, as imperatives, the apostolic fathers after the New Testament. So books like the letters of Ignatius and Polycarp and Didache and things like that. Now, this meant looking at a lot of stuff, believe me. And so what I have here, I, I go through this explanation to tell you that what I have here is essentially the result of really massive inductive study. Inductive study. It is not essentially from reading what other people say or by looking at some examples. It's looking at all the examples. And this makes a huge difference when you, when you don't cherry pick your cases, but you have to somehow come to terms with everything. <laughs> And uh, it, it becomes a little bit complicated. Now, what we're going to do is uh, I, I'm going to make a presentation this way. I'm going to talk about the basic meaning of the imperative, give you some basic uh, uh, morphology, and then talk about the use syntactically of the imperatives. And, uh, uh, and then we'll go, and at the end, we're going to do the rest of the morphology. Now. The imperatives are essentially commands. So it is a demand for someone to do something if it's second person. Thus, I would say, put down that pen. Get out of the chair. Or if I'm going to be negative, don't look at me like that. Stop doing this. That's second person. Second person is direct address. There are third-person imperatives. Did Jeff talk about that in chapter 28? Third-person imperatives with the aorist subjunctive? A yeah. little bit. All right. In fact, it's probably going to be best to move that material out of that chapter and just have it all, even though it is, involves the subjunctive, uh, and to just have it all with the, uh, 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 with the imperative chapter. Now. Third-person imperatives, I want to talk about that just briefly before we get going. 
third-person imperatives are given to people who are either not present or unknown. So, for example, when Marie Antoinette was told that the peasants don't have food, and she said, let them eat cake, it did not mean that she was telling them to have permission to do it, allow them to. It is a third-person command. They ought to. They ought to do something. That's person who's not present. What would be an example of a person who's unknown? I'm over here writing on the blackboard, and suddenly one of you blows a raspberry at me. Like this, I turn around, and I say, let the person who did that identify himself. I don't know who to command. I can't say, Mike, do this, or Eric. I say, let the person. So there's a person in the room, but I can't identify him. So it's just like in the story of uh, Jesus and the woman taken in the, uh, the adultery, and he says to the people, let the person who is guiltless cast the first stone. What happens? Wham! Stone comes out, hits the woman, he says, mother. No, uh, all right, no. But, but when, when you say, let the person who is guiltless cast the first stone, you are saying, you don't know who's going to come forward and claim it. All right? So those are essentially the two possibilities. Let is used to command a person who is unknown or not present. But more commonly, commands are second person, where I say, if I say to you, get out of the chair, it's second person singular. If I say, take out a half sheet of paper, it's second person plural. We don't distinguish. Most other languages do between second singular and second plural. Let the games begin? Uh, well, the thing is about let the games begin is I guess uh, you are commanding, um, you are commanding, I think, essentially someone who is unknown. So you're not sure who's going to be participating. So in other words, if I'm talking to all of you, I'd say begin play. Or at the beginning of a race, get ready, get set, go. See, you don't say, let the runners get ready. No, you don't do that because they're right in front of you. So I, I think the I, notion of let the games begin would be you don't know who's all going to be involved with this. So you word it as a third person uh, uh, imperative. But if you know exactly who is going to be involved with it, then you use a second person imperative. It doesn't fit exactly because you know, you say that once all the participants are gathered together, like in your example, you started the race, the runners are on the track, the runners block. Or, or, yeah. or the people in the stands and the, and the athletes are on the field, and that's when you say, let the games begin. When, when you can see the people, everyone's there. You 
Well, well, no, but there'd be a whole bunch of people, and you would not be sure who's going to be, let's say, running. Let's say you're standing in the stadium. You have the opening of the Olympics, and you say, let the games begin. Are you sure when you look at that sea of faces who is going to be running in the first race? No, you don't. See, you're, you're not sure. You always use that when you're not sure exactly who you ought to be talking.